I think I'm on. I don't know. <laughs> Man, it's, uh, let me see you, John, around. Okay to go ahead, bud? We're good, we're good, okay. <laughs> Didn't want to miss the last part of the video. Wasn't that a great time of worship? Would you thank uh, John and our whole team a whole lot? Wasn't it great, great time of worship together? Really appreciate that so much. It's an honor to be able to be with you guys. Uh, I come from the other side of the river and really thankful to get a chance to come back and encourage. Fairdale here has been a, a place dear to my heart due to a lot of your ministers through the years, even some way, way, way back a long time ago. Uh, Tom Mobley was a great friend of mine. Gary Cox, I think, is a product of this place, and he's a dear friend. I'll hang out with him in a couple of weeks at a board meeting where we'll be at in Florida. Uh, but Brandon, what a great time to have him take just a little bit of a break and catch his breath. He's so thankful for him. He's a dear friend. Uh, but the Miller man uh, at Miller Time, Phil is just an amazing type of guy. Uh, would you thank all of those uh, bunch that are a part of the leaders, along with everybody on your staff? Well, I'm really thankful to be able to be here just to kind of uh, have this moment to encourage you today. Uh, uh, we had a, uh, most guys have a Father's Day that lasts, oh, maybe for lunch during the time. I've had a Father's Day month. Our daughter's a missionary in Romania, so my wife and I got to go over to see her and have three weeks, just a few weeks ago, that was very much... She has a mission of reaching out to uh, uh, Roma gypsy families in, in Romania, and we got to hang out with her quite a while, so it was a, it was a Father's Day trip over there just to be with our daughter and grandkids. Uh, and then uh, our son, Nathan, and I, we took a little bit of a break, and we decided to go catch a few ball games. We kind of saved up, and what we didn't uh, save up for, we'll pay for later, but we went out west and caught uh, three ball games and three preachers out on the west coast and had a good time. It reminded me of a few years ago when we tried to do that, about 10 years ago, uh, to, uh, to just kind of celebrate a, a little father-son kind of a moment. And we went to a ball game in Cleveland, caught the Indians, went over to Pittsburgh, catch the Pirates. We were hoping to catch the Reds on the way home, but we ran out of money, so we ate at Skyline Chili. That's all we could afford to make it on that. So we had a great time. During that trip, though, something happened. Uh, due to uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes and a connection with them, they knew a fellow who was pitching for the Twins when they played Cleveland, and, and his name was Matt Capps. And a great Christian fellow, he was the closer, bring him in in the ninth inning, struck out the side, and since we were there with an, a friend who knew him, we got to go hang out with him and uh, have supper with the guy who was the closing pitcher who, who won the game at the end. And it was really neat to hear about his faith and, and all the things that he'd done. I began to identify with him because he's a very kind of a, a stocky kind of a fella. And he told uh, us that they had made him lose about 20 pounds. He went from 245 to two and a quarter. And he said, I couldn't pitch more than 90 miles an hour uh, at two and a quarter. He said, I, I came in about 85. He said, at 245, man, he said, I could throw 92, 93 miles an hour. And I said, Matt, I know exactly how you feel. I preach a lot better at 265, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and and uh, I, he just became a, this neat experience of a, of a kind of a, a professional athlete that you realize he had a great heart. But he was a closer. He was a fellow you bring in to kind of finish things off, the end of the game, make sure if we have a lead, we keep the lead. If we don't, well, we don't lose any ground. And it made me think in the context of Father's Day, and it leads to the sermon that I, I really have felt led to share with you today, 
uh, that, that we need to be people who finish well. Amen? We want to finish well. We want to help everybody around us in our faith to finish well. Matt was a closer. My dad was a great closer. He passed away a year ago at 97. Who could complain about 97? I'm so thankful for his faith and his life. True story, this, this is the essence of a little bit of who my dad is, okay? Uh, years ago, uh, he, he was one of the elders at our church, farmer, uh, hog, corn and beans, grew up with all of that. But a small town in Illinois, a town of 800, a little town, a church of about 80. And he borrowed a fellow's little bobcat, little baby bulldozer, to try to peel off a little ground at the church to make six more parking spaces. He's thinking, man, if we can just get six more parking spaces, that'll help a lot. That's what he thought maybe he could do. So anyway, while he is doing that, he has a stroke while he's working on that little bobcat. And a fellow who was a deacon at the time had told me this story later. He said, I, I wanted to go check on your dad, make sure he's doing okay. And I looked at him, and that, that, uh, that, that bobcat was just, it was pulling to the left, to the right. I couldn't tell. Something's going on. He's having trouble. I went over there, and the guy's name was Raymond Rich, owned the grocery store. And he said, I went up there, kind of knocked on the cab. And I looked at him. He said, your dad, in the middle of a stroke, his face had already drawn off to the side. And he said, I just looked at him, and I grabbed him on the shoulder. I said, Eldon. You're having a stroke. Get out of here. He said, true story. Your dad looked back at me and said, I know, but I'm almost done. <laughs> How many have found that a work ethic like that skips a generation? Okay. I, I don't have anywhere near that work ethic. My dad was a closer. He wanted to make sure everything was done. Make sure that even in his life spiritually that everything was taken care of. Now today the passage, it's in Hebrews chapter 12. It'll probably appear on the screen. If you want to look on the, in the Bible, you can just see in those first three verses. It's one of my favorite passages to look at in Scripture. And it simply says that in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run the race with perseverance that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinful men so that you might not grow weary and lose heart. If there's anything I want to encourage you with today, it's here in the, the, the summer of 23 with everything going on around us, within the culture, with, within our country, within everything in your personal life. God does not want you to lose heart, but you and I will lose heart if we don't do what he tells us to do in his word. The main thing is, the question is, how can we help one another not to lose heart? How can we help each other finish well, it's not enough for me just to say, whew, I think I did okay, I'm good with the Lord, and uh, uh, good luck to everybody else. No, we are called to help one another finish well. Now, there's three questions I want to ask today, uh, and number one is simply this. In light of this passage, who is your crowd? The Bible talks about the, the cloud of witnesses that we have. Who is your crowd? 
In other words, who are the, the people that you derive inspiration and encouragement from? And I would suggest today that you have two crowds. You have a, a heavenly crowd, and the heavenly crowd are just the people in the chapter before in Hebrews 11. If you know that chapter, it's nicknamed the faith chapter. 1 Corinthians 13 in the Bible is the love chapter, but Hebrews 11 is uh, the, the, uh, the faith chapter. And, and all of those people that are mentioned there are intended to give us encouragement. They're inspiring characters in Scripture, ones who give you hope. I'm a kid not a kid anymore. I'll be 69 in the fall. I'm feeling every year a little bit more all the time. But I'm a kid who went off to church camp and VBS, vacation Bible school, and I never came home. <laughs> to this day when I walk into church, where's the cookies and Kool-Aid, all right? Where, that, now it's coffee and donuts or something, but it always was that. Because I, everything I really needed to know in life, pretty much I learned there. The people that are in your heavenly crowd are the folks that are in the Word of God. Do you know much about that? Do you think that David and Goliath is all about God being for the underdog? <laughs> Not at all. David had this incredible faith when he went up against Goliath for a couple of reasons. Number one, he had seen God deliver him from a lion and a bear, if you know that story. He knew God's going to be with him. And he hears this big giant Philistine who had no respect for the living God call down curses upon David and the nation of Israel, God's people, in the name of God. Mocking, mocking, mocking. And David said, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> God isn't going to put up with that. I'm not going to put up with that. Who's going to stand up? Nobody stood up. Do you realize that a lot of the inspiration that you and I need to stand up for the integrity of God is found in the people of God gone before us? Who's in your crowd? Who's influencing you? I love the story of Esther. In, in the story of Esther, uh, uh, you, you see here she won a, a beauty contest. And she was in Persia, but she's Jewish. And, and her kind of uncle, cousin, father figure, Mordecai, uh, he, he paved the way for her. And, and all of a sudden, she's now the queen. And there's a pre-Hitler fellow named Haman who decided he wanted all of the Jewish people to be gone. Hated God's people. Hated Mordecai in particular. And he's uh, building gallows to hang all of God's people. They're just going to execute them. Mordecai finds out and he goes to Esther. And he says, Esther, I know you haven't been queen for a long time, but let's be honest. You're pretty fortunate to be there. You, you know that you're Jewish and you're in Persia and we're all in exile. And he appeals to her integrity. He says, you, you need to speak up now. He said, if you don't speak up, God will bring deliverance from somewhere else. But you and me and our families will all die, will perish. God's going to win. But do you want to be part of the solution? And then he says, and if you know the phrase, you can say it with me. Who knows, Esther, why you have come to royalty for such a time as this? I love that phrase. I love that story. Because she had to look in her heart and say, not I've been blessed. Look at me. I'm the queen. I'm in a position of influence. And I got a pretty sheltered, protected, sweet life right now. But with that great responsibility and privilege came the opportunity whether she would stand. Who's in your crowd? Who's in your heart? Who's in your mind? Who's in your conversation? That's 
our heavenly crowd. But now I think there's an earthly crowd. I think there's more than one crowd. And the earthly crowd are the people that you have around you, the spiritual friends, the mentors, the cupbearers, if you will, the spiritual companions who cheer us on. Somebody said a long time ago, I don't know who to attribute to, it takes a village to raise a child. And I would take issue with that. I would say, oh no, <laughs> it takes a church family to raise a child. Amen? It takes a church family. And you all, all here at Fairdale are a healthy and holy church family with great integrity and great spiritual commitment and great fellowship but who will we raise up in the name of the Lord? The fellow who probably has been the most influential in, in my life, and I've been blessed with many godly friends and, and, and mentors, but the one is a fellow by the name of Lynn Laughlin. You've probably never heard of him. He's been my spiritual mentor since I was 10. <laughs> he was also my basketball coach in Bible college in Lincoln. New Testament prof. And like most Bible college professors, they had to have a side thing they did, so he preached in the area, oh, about a half hour from me. So I saw him at church camp every year and occasional youth around, things like that. And he became this person who poured into my heart and life of me saying, I'm not sure who I'm going to be or who I want to be when I grow up, but I kind of want to be something like him. And a tremendous faith. Who's in your crowd? Who are the people right now? If the wheels came off in your life, would be your first call that you'd talk to, you'd listen to godly advice from. That's the book of Hebrews telling us we got to have the right crowd among us. When my coach uh, had a building named after him about 10 years ago over at Northside in New Albany, we, we've been in, in uh, Saturday night services forever. Actually, even the church I was at before out west uh, our family has been in Saturday and Sunday, three to four services every weekend for 30 years, you know. So Saturday's a whole different thing. So I couldn't go to the special dedication for him. So I went to Louisville Stoneware and had a special coffee mug made. Let me clarify. I took out a loan and I went to Louisville Stoneware to have a special coffee mug made for my coach to honor him for all that he meant to me. And I didn't know what to say, so I just kind of wrote my own little card, my own little thing on there, and it simply said uh, three lines, players win games, teams win championships, but coaches change lives. And a little note in the card, thanks for changing mine. Who's in your life? Whose life are you in? Who's in your crowd? Who will you be a part of the crowd to help them finish well? Now, question number two. There's only three. Question number two. What's your problem? Turn to your neighbor and have fun by saying, what's your problem? Go right ahead. Turn to your neighbor. <laughs> Turn back and say, right now it's kind of you, you know? It's just fun to say, and it? It's just fun, keeping it, keeping it lighthearted here. But the real question in this Hebrews 12 passage is not just the crowd, not just who's given you inspiration to finish strong and finish well and, and not lose heart, but really what's holding us back? What, where am I limping? What's caused that? Where, where am I kind of losing a little bit of ground? And, and, and honestly, what's slowing us down, if you will, or what's tripping us up? 
There might be a pattern in your life, in my life. You might be able to connect the dots. You might need some help to do that. You might be able to see that there's something going on that we struggle with getting over, and it becomes a recurring problem, a recurring theme. And that's why the Bible says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Uh, when I met my wife's family, before she was my wife, I met her dad, her grandpa, and her stepfather all in the same week, just after moving to town, okay? Uh, just up the road in Scottsburg. Her dad was Gary, her grandpa was Harry, and her stepdad was Larry, okay? You can imagine, it took me a while to keep them straight on that. But her grandpa, her papa, Harry, was an incredible guy. His wife was Anna Lee. That just kind of sounds, Harry and Anna Lee. It just sounds like it goes together, doesn't it? And Harry was an incredible guy, was in prudential insurance and uh, a deacon in the church, just, just a, a great, a great fellow. But at one of our get-togethers, after we'd been married for a few times, you hear more of the family secrets, found out that Harry did not pass first grade. They, they had to fail him, hold him back in first grade. And I remember hearing that story around the table at Thanksgiving one time, and I said, Harry, you're one of the sharpest guys I know. You've got numbers down. You remember everybody's name. How in the world did you get held back in first grade? And Anna Lee filled in the gaps. Turns out that Harry is a little guy uh, in first grade, he'd go and he'd do the pledge to the flag and he'd stick around for maybe the first class and then milk break and recess and they never saw him again uh, after, after the weather broke and he went fishing. <laughs> every day, every day, every day. And they said, well, and Harry's parents said, what's, what's the matter here? He's the sharpest kid in the class. And they said, I know, but he never came back after recess, you know, for, for the last couple of months. So he had, it, it wasn't a pattern in his life. He learned it right then. Some of us may have a pattern of avoiding things we don't want to do. Some of us may have a pattern uh, in our life that we struggle with hard conversations or we secretive behavior or whatever it truly might be. For some of us, it might be what we would say over at Northside uh, of, of our three things we're trying to do. We want to connect unconnected people to Christ and get them into community. And help them find their calling. It might be that right now we're lacking a connection. And you may say, well, I'm here today, but I ain't been here for a while. Oh, when I'm not here, I tune in online. And that can help. That can be really good. But you may just be missing this moment of listening to God together. You might be missing the moment of having fellowship with other people. And fellowship, I know it feels like we got to eat something. And we usually do. But it calls for more than that. It calls for a relationship that we listen to each other and we pray for one another and we acknowledge our struggles with one another like in James chapter 5. Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you might be healed. Maybe for some of us we struggle with that sense of community with other believers or maybe we don't know where to help out, don't know where to serve, we just want to watch a little bit. It's okay for a while, but dive in. Where can I help? Where can I help and be a part of my calling? You see, we're called to live an unhindered life. Uh, I've got some friends down in Florida. They began a ministry out in Colorado. John and Deanna Walker. John's a psychologist, went to Bible college with him, smart as can be. 
heart for pastors and church leaders, began a ministry called Blessing Ranch, and now their daughter Charity, as he's retired, is taking that over. And in their book, they unpack the whole idea of how we can live an unhindered life and how we have to live an unhindered life. We, we don't want to struggle with the same thing all the time, back and forth, always. And in, in living an unhindered life, in their language, they say, you got to know there's some things that happen in your life that are heart shapers. And if you're not careful, when you and I are wounded, we're disappointed, and we hold a grudge, or we just back up and insulate ourselves emotionally, then the next thing you know, we have a sore spot, and we can't quite get beyond that, can't quite get over that. And all of us will struggle with that from time to time. And we'll find that rather that things heal us and bless us, we allow them to hurt us and almost curse us. Now, some of you may have a favorite movie in life, okay? A movie that, you know, you just remember as a kid or maybe most recently. I, I love animated things. I, I love the, the old classics here and there. But I have to be honest with you, when our kids were going through high school back in the 90s, uh, uh, you know, and, and then even at the in, end of the millennial to, to graduate for Nathan in 2000, I tried to watch the movies that they watch, and one movie absolutely changed my life. I'm a big uh, Chris Farley off Saturday Night Live fan, and Tommy Boy changed my life, okay? Yay, there's a few people who know that, all right? If, if you know, it, it's just a funny kind of a movie, but it, it's, it has actually a story behind it in there. But in there, the one line that Chris Farley always says, he gets hit in the head with a two before, hits it with that. Every time he gets hit, that's going to leave a mark. That's going to leave a mark. And I want you to know there has been a mark in you and me of the life that has happened. My mom passed away when I was 22. I'd just been in ministry for a year down here in southern Indiana, across the river, and my family was over in Illinois. I didn't get a chance to say I love you one more time, didn't get a chance to say goodbye. And it marked me, marked me in several ways. It marked me that when I go to a funeral, I know how they feel if something happens suddenly. I stood next to my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, at my mom's casket, feeling the ache in my heart, and then thinking, how does she take this, saying goodbye to her daughter? Marked me. It also marked me for about five years and my dad remarried in about seven, watching him be all alone. And if you were able to retire and go to Florida, good for you. But I had trouble in my heart celebrating that because I saw him all alone. Now, my wife's marking was a little different. Her parents divorced when she was eight, and they both remarried when she was nine. She's okay. She, you know, she made it through that. Marked her a little bit. Hurt a little bit. Whoever said, all kids are resilient, they'll bounce right back, wasn't a kid. And I don't think it was somebody who had gone through a divorce. The marking that goes on in our heart and life, if we're not careful, if we don't surrender that to the Lord and say, God, this is a struggle. It's an ache. 
And if we're not careful, we'll allow that, that, that heart shaper to be this wound within our life. And we'll carry re resentment. We'll carry reluctance. We'll carry all sorts of things that will keep us from healing and keep us from celebrating anybody else. And that's why John and Charity in their book, Unhindered, say we have to listen to Hebrews 12. We have to let God heal us up from the things in life. And we do it best when we maintain a close relationship with Him and, and walk in the light with one another. They say one of the things you got to be careful of is hold on to God's truth. That's an uppercase truth, capital T. His truth is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and He will never forsake or leave you, no matter what. He won't. But sometimes our lowercase t says, I feel all alone. And we resent God and other things in, in life. We've got to let God's grace overwhelm us and heal us or we will live very hindered lives. We got to come to four questions, they suggest. And the tough questions are, number one, is God good all the time? I mean, is he a good God but just let some things happen? Well, I believe in the permissive will of God. We live in a fallen world, a very sinful world. Even if we don't initiate it, sometimes we inherit some bad stuff, and that can happen. But at the end of the day, is God good? Because if you don't think he's good, you're going to be very hindered the rest of your life. And it takes faith, and it takes time, and it takes healing, it takes a decision to understand that God is good, even though some hard things happen to us. The second question is, are you okay? I mean, are you just a hot mess and that's just who you are and, and you're going to say, yeah, I'm going to make a lot of bad mistakes all my life and uh, uh, just hopefully not as bad. Do you give up on yourself? Do you give up on him as he's working with you? Are you okay even though you're flawed? I love a song, a Christian song years ago that, that uh, was about a girl who had made some bad choices, probably implying uh, moral failure and, and sexually in nature, and she was feeling tremendous shame. And in this song, uh, it, it is just entitled, You Are More. And at the chorus, it says, You are more than the choices that you make. You are more than the sum of your past mistakes. You are more than the problems you create. You've been remade. You're more. Even though we're flawed, we're not defined by our worst moment. Amen? God wants us to be defined by him. The third one is, how about everybody else? Is it always ever somebody else's fault? Can you understand that as we're flawed and God gives grace... Other people are flawed, and to forgive them and to let go of that resentment and to release them, that's what the Greek word to forgive literally means, to untie. Can you refuse to hold somebody hostage because they weren't perfect? Can we, can we give grace? If we receive it from God, it's easier to give. It's hard to give when we really haven't received from Him. And the fourth question in that little grouping is simply, uh, do you realize that life is good even though? Oh, is it hard sometimes, and it's difficult. 
Sometimes we need to look and see, is my primary struggle with fear or anger or pride? Is there something that's holding me back that God says, I want you to be able to get over? Abraham had trouble with fear. That's why he lied about his wife, Sarah. He was afraid, okay, they're going to kill me when they see how pretty she is. I better make something up and twist this around a little bit. He was driven by fear. Uh, Moses was driven by a little bit of anger, okay? Kills an Egyptian because he's beaten up uh, uh, one of his fellow Israelites. Buries him in the sand. Later on, he sees the wickedness of God's people after getting the Ten Commandments. And in a, uh, uh, an anger moment, throws him down on the ground. Tees off on a rock when he could have been going to the promised land. But that's really okay. I, I've misunderstood that for a long time. I thought it was just because Moses got angry. Oh, no, if you look there in Deuteronomy, it says, God says, I can't let you go into the promised land, you or Aaron, because you didn't represent me as holy, Moses. So he had a moment that he, he misrepresented God. When he touched the, the, the staff to the stone, to the rock, that was the moment that he said, this is the hand of God. And God says, you made me look like a, you know, temper, tantrum, throwing kind of a God. Throw your hands up in the air. Kick the trash can. You know, kick the dog on the way to the... You you misrepresented me, Moses. I understand you're angry. I'm angry. But you don't act in that. He struggled with that. King Saul in the Old Testament struggled with pride. He didn't pray. He didn't listen to God. He didn't obey. He listened to people more than he listened to God. So What's our problem? And do we want to allow God to help us to overcome that? Now, the third question, and the third question is the final question, and you know what it means. Isn't it nice when a preacher says, and finally? You know what that means? (laughs) It doesn't mean anything at all. It it means he's trying to land the plane, okay? But that last, last question is simply, where's your focus? Who's your crowd? What's your problem? Where's our focus? For a lot of people, they will focus on their stuff, on their money, on their opportunities, on their education, on the government, on uh, on their dreams and pursue their dreams or their regrets and let them overwhelm them. But where? Is your focus today? A few months ago, I was preaching, and I, I, I had a similar type of a sermon. I thought, I need to write something that's a little bit different, something that I haven't read, and something that kind of comes from me. And I decided to put this together. I hope I can remember it. It goes through the alphabet. It's what I would call Jesus A to Z. In other words, what has he been to you? Who is he to you? Because at the end of the day, we can tell people what the Bible says, and we can tell them, hey, you ought to start this and stop that, and come on, we love you, but who does he become? And that's when the Bible says to fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your focus on him. He's the author and perfecter of our faith, and for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. He sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from the hands of sinful men so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. We can get rid of some problems. We can get some inspiration. But if we don't fix our eyes on him, we'll miss it. So if you'll allow me to do my best at remembering the alphabet, 
He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the calm in the middle of the storm. He's the deliverer that I can depend on. He is everlasting to everlasting. He is the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. It's from an old hymn. We've got to keep the old people happy, okay? He's the good shepherd. He's the holy anointed one. He's Emmanuel, can be with an I or an E. I checked it out. Emmanuel, God with us. He is Jesus of Nazareth, King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's double up on the L. He is the Lamb of God that, helped me, takes away the sin of the world. He is the mighty one of Israel. He is the name above all names. He is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, omni-everything, all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, loving. He's the prophet and the priest and the king over the house of God and the people of God. Q. He's the quotable, notable, and highly promotable son of the living God. Gotta have fun with that. Yeah. He's the rock of our salvation. He's the stone that the builders rejected. He's the teacher, the preacher, and the maker of every creature. He's the universal Savior for our universal sin. He's the victor who could never be defeated. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man, no man, no man, no woman, no boy, no girl, no Republican, no Democrat, no Independent comes to the Father except through Him. X. He's the X factor in our faithfulness and the extractor of our sinfulness. He's the yearning deep within our heart. And the letter Z, to borrow from the medical community, <laughs> he's the Z pack of our heavenly three pack, if that makes sense, okay? I didn't know where to go with that one, all right? That's who he is, amen? He is the only cure for our sin sick soul. This chorus that RJ's playing and we'll sing together in a moment is born right out of Hebrews 12. Won't you sing it with me? It's just a neat little old chorus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. One more time, let's sing together.
this moment together with our friends. Thank you that you have carved out a path for us to run. And I thank you for the friends that we have that cheer us on and help us. I pray, Lord, that we would help one another fix our eyes on Jesus and we would look to him and we would give that encouragement to one another. We'd receive that encouragement through the power of your spirit. God, help us with things that hinder us. We all get tripped up. May we show love and grace and encouragement to each other so that we might not grow weary and lose heart. Help us to fix our eyes on your son, Jesus. We pray in his name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. Have a good weekend. We'll see you.